0: Bye. V- Well, this morning I was able to see the sunrise and just in particular this morning, it was just beautiful. It was just the colors were awesome. But I know as we, as we were singing the song, we had these we sang these words as surely as the sun will rise. I know that whether or not I see the sunrise or the sunset, I know that it does just like there are times where we can't hear God. We feel the silence, but you know what? He's there. He's always there and he will never leave us and we're never walking alone. But just because we can't feel him doesn't mean he's not with us. support Because you
1: That experience this morning, Lord. That experience of coming to know you better than when we walked in the door. Drawing closer to you. Understanding your desires for us better. But mostly just knowing you. Really knowing you. We pray for that. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. We've been encouraging you to spend time during the week in the Bible. And we've been offering you some passages to do that. Four passages that you find listed in your folder every week. And they're from different parts of the Bible. They're not particularly long passages. Part of what we've been saying is you don't necessarily even need to read all four. Just find one of them that really speaks to your heart and read it and reread it throughout the week so that it, it has the chance, kind of like, like a good soaking rain. It has the chance to, to sink down into the soil of your soul. So one of the passages this past week was from Psalm 107. I want to kind of give you an idea of how this has worked for me. So we have this psalm, and in it, it talks about taking the faith that we have and making sure that it gets passed on to a next generation and another generation and another generation. And as I'm reading this passage, all of these things are happening this week that reinforce that. So for example, uh, we told you, boy, about a year ago now, that our old church building, the one on Jackson Street, the original church building, was torn down, and there was a nameplate up there, and some cornerstones, and we had hoped to get a hold of those and then it got, got kind of tied up in some funny joliet politics and Not too long ago we found out we 're going to be able to get those, and they 're going to be able to come and be a part of our property and um, and i 'm looking at these. I went over to the museum to visit them and i 'm looking at them thinking wow somebody somebody put this thing in that building over one hundred years ago, and over a hundred years ago, their hope was that there would be another generation and another generation and yet another that would embrace the gospel and spread it to the world. And then I'm looking at our last night. We have this chance to go over to the new place, and we're praying around the rooms. And one of the, one of the rooms we spent quite a bit of time was the Southfield Big Kids room. And we just we're in there praying for this, this generation of kids who are going to have some incredibly unique challenges when it comes to our culture. Will they embrace the gospel the way we've embraced the gospel and making sure that that, that next generation does embrace the gospel. A lot of people come, become believers, uh, followers of Jesus between the ages of, of 5 and 10. It's a crucial age for kids to come to know Christ. Then this morning... I'm standing out, out here in the room, and I see somebody walk by. It's Ryan Tanner. Now, a lot of you don't know Ryan, but, but Ryan was here way, way back when I first came in 1995. Back then, he was a, just a little kid. Now he's a grown man with kids of his own living in Colorado. And, and one of the stories he told me way, way back at the beginning was uh, the first Sunday I was here, he, he drew a picture of me. While sitting in church and Ryan isn't the greatest artist and he didn't have the greatest subject. So I'm kind of curious to know what that picture looked like, but to see through the years, the way God has worked in him through the people of this church to grow him into the man that he is. God wants us to be part of that passing faith on. To generation So that's something that was just impressed on me all week long. And I love the way these passages work in that we start reading them on Monday and we conclude on Sunday. So it's really a, a case of it all building up to this day where God has had the chance to speak into our hearts. So Before we partake of communion this morning, I want to read that passage from Psalm 107. And then we're going to leave the final uh, couple of verses on the screen for you to dwell on while we're taking communion. And maybe there's a word or a phrase that God will just grab hold of your heart and you can spend some time with his spirit thinking through and reflecting on those words. So this psalm says, Oh my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors, people on Jackson Street, handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. He concludes by saying, for each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. So again, we have those final passages. As communion comes to you right now, it's on a tray, bread is in the middle, cup on the side. Take one of each, sit and reflect as you're listening to music and just ponder the words that God has for you today from this passage. Help us every day to set our hope anew on you. As Dana already mentioned, that that sun rises every day. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. It doesn't negate the reality that it is there. And no matter what may be happening in our lives, it doesn't negate the reality that you are there. It is natural for us to look at the things in our life that aren't going the way we want or the way we hope and, and to focus there and to get frustrated. And God, I pray instead that you will help us to find our hope in you, to rest our hope in you continually, to continue to have our eyes turned back toward you instead of our circumstances. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in this series um, talking about who we are as a church, talking about our our behaviors that are derived from our beliefs. In part, you could call it a tune-up. It's a chance to look again and say this is who we say we are so are we really that or not and there are some areas that we're finding that we do a great job lining up our beliefs with our our behaviors and and some other areas where where we've needed to make some adjustments get a little better at what we say we're all about i want to pay you a compliment on one so a few weeks back we talked about spiritual friendships we talked about the responsibility we all have for making sure everybody that comes here feels welcomed and not just, you know, you come and hang out with your friends, Sam, in your same spot and kind of ignore other people. And I've had numerous comments in recent days from newcomers. And I'm not kidding, exact wording. It was refreshing to come to a church where I was greeted by somebody other than just the official greeter at the door. Other people came up to me. Other people wanted to know my name. Other people wanted to talk to me. That, that is just, that's huge. Keep doing that. Now, you know we don't want to like love bomb people to death. We don't want them to be terrified and go running for their life or something. But that idea that that they walked in and somebody was actually interested in them is huge. So congratulations. Keep that up. You're doing a great job. Today is going to be unusual. In modern preaching, uh, when they teach preaching, they're trying to encourage preachers to do something. They're saying try your best to focus on one thing. Zero in on one thing and really drive that one point home. You look at some of the older preachers, you know, they used to have these 7, 10, 12, 15-point sermons. They go on and on. Get that one point and really drive it home. I'm going to completely violate that today. Not only am I going to have multiple points, we're going to do multiple sermons today. Today we're going to have actually two sermons. You are here for a twofer. Good for you. Now here's the thing you've got to understand. It'll still be in the same time as one. So getting out at the same, I know, it's like a miracle. How can that happen? But you see, last week I didn't get to finish all the dynamic worship part. And I want to actually start to get into the next one that talks about serving. So here we go, 10 minutes, wrapping up last week talking about dynamic worship. And we ask that question, what is dynamic worship? We talk about the fact that that word dynamic wasn't just about the level of energy that comes to it. By dynam- dynamic means it's constantly changing, constantly growing. And if our worship is constantly growing, guess what? We need to be constantly growing. You should be able to look at your own life and say, there are some areas that I have grown as a worshiper. Now, remember, when we talk about worship, we're not just talking about this service. We're not just talking about the time that we're sitting here together and doing this. But worship is a a lifestyle, something that's going on all the time. So one area you could measure your worship, for example, is am I becoming a more grateful person? Do I find myself growing in expressions of gratitude toward God? That's a lifestyle lifestyle of worship that we bring. We're growing in our heart language, our ability to just say, I love you to God. And we're growing in this loving response that's constantly able to come back and say, thank you, God. I not only love you, I love loving you. I not only delight in you, I delight delighting in you. It is just an absolute pleasure to know you and to grow in you. So we talked about what our worship looks like, that that we come together, and we're not just a bunch of individuals, but this is a a corporate experience in that it is community. It's all of us joining together, almost like a choir with one voice to sing to God. God is the audience, not us. We're not here to judge the performance of the day. We're here to sing and to perform, so to speak, to God and, and make sure he's the one that's lifted up. We talked about our approach being contemporary, not so much as in modern music, but contemporary has to do with the approach of the worship, that it's not just singing about God, but it's actually singing to God, not just propositions that we're saying, this is who God is, but we're actually directing our music and our words toward God himself. Talk about being comfortable in worship. Not things that are mystifying and hidden, that all of a sudden, something we do something, we do something in the service, and if somebody's new, they have no idea what's coming. So we try to create a comfortable atmosphere. And mostly, we want to make sure that our worship is Christ centered, that it always points back to Jesus. Not a person, not my desires, anyone else's desires, but it's always pointing back to Jesus. So if our worship is going to be dynamic, here's the key we need to be growing as worshipers. Every one of us need to experience a constant level of growth in what it means to worship. So what I wanted to do this morning, and again, that that kind of ending that we didn't get to last time, was to talk about what are some ways that we can grow in our worship experience. Now, there are some things that are coming six weeks from now that are really going to enhance our worship experience. This has been a great room for worship. And it's not been a great room for worship. If you had been in the first service, it was a comfortable, uh, probably 83 degrees in here. The cookies were getting baked. Okay, new place. We get to control the temperature. It will be a comfortable 46 every week. I promise. It'll just be. It'll be fantastic. The lighting. Somebody mentioned this morning. They sit over in this area, and apparently one of these panes right here. This one, this one. It's hitting the, look at that. They're actually gleaming. It's like, it's like saints, oh my word. Woo! You know, so things like this that don't exactly create an ideal worship experience. We've got some things coming with the new space that are really going to deliver a better worship experience. And we're going to really love that. But having said that, being a growing worshiper isn't all just what's coming from the front. It isn't all just about does the room Feel right. It's do we bring the best worshiper to the room? Who do we bring to the room when we come to worship? So I'll just give you some areas that we could grow, some areas that we could press ourselves. And the first is this: if you're gonna if you're gonna grow as a worshiper, you've got to come to the room with a prepared heart. One of the concepts of the Jewish Sabbath I love. I got to get the wording right. They they say something like this: the Sabbath is not made for the weak the week is made for the Sabbath. In other words, what they're saying is the Sabbath isn't so that the rest of the week will go well. The rest of the week creates a beautiful Sabbath experience. For a lot of us, we think I need Sunday to get through the rest of my week. This is like my, my spiritual pill. This is my juice and it gets me through. We need to flip the, flip, flip the perspective. Everything we put into our week brings us to a great experience on Sunday, or maybe a not great experience on Sunday. Who are you bringing to worship? Do you bring a prepared heart when you come to worship? So let me talk about some really simple things. I'm going to mention a bunch of things and I promise you on one of these, you've done it and you're going to feel bad. You're going to think I'm pointing you out. I'm not, all right? So don't take it that way. These are just generic things. They happen in every church, and it's the way it works. So let's, let's, get, let's get going on these. A prepared heart means a prepared uh, body. So what does that mean? I don't stay up till 4.30 playing Candy Crush and expect to come to church and stay awake. I've got just a simple newsflash for you. If you sit in a chair still for 45 minutes and the temperature is 84 degrees you are going to take a nice little doze. It's, it's not, even if you come well rested, there are times you guys kind of do that bing, you know, that little spiritual moment of sleep. I get all that. I Believe me, I see it. I know you don't think I do. I see it, okay? <laughs> I, I'm getting the message here. I got it, I got it. So, um, and if you notice every once in a while I do that, that's because somebody, you know, just trying, just trying to help them along. Just a public service that I do. But anyway, um, no, being prepared involves... Did I get good rest the night before? Did I prepare my heart the night before? I, you can 't walk in at eleven o 'clock and go, "I dare you to make me worship." Come on, let's you know give me some good music or I 'm just not going to worship today. Prepare your heart the night before. Maybe spend some time listening to music that, that gets your heart. In an an attitude toward God, maybe spend some time reading Scripture, doing something that gets your mind and heart ready for this experience that we're about to encounter here today. So that whole idea of being focused and rested—it really, really helps to just bring that that prepared self to the situation. One way you can prepare—I'll tell you about my family growing up. I had one sister in my family who who no matter how much time you gave her, she could never be ready. I mean, you could wake her up at 3.30 in the morning, and she'd still be late. You know, just, I don't know, always one more thing to perfect. So Sunday morning at my house, there was a very angry driver who was, you know, letting us know. Mm. We just heard it the whole way. And then we got into the church parking lot. It was like, smiles, everyone. Fantasy Island. Here we are. Come on, let's go. And and I tell you what, just as a family, it didn't make for a great worship experience, right? So think through in your own, in your own house, are you actually, are you actually setting up the war? Are there things you could do in your own house? Maybe you have littler kids. What about getting the clothes prepared the night before instead of let's race through and find out, oh, no, there are no socks. we got to wash these. There's only 12 minutes. They can be wet. No problem. So, you know, some things like that, just thinking through preparation can really help us in terms of arriving with a, with a prepared heart and a prepared mindset. So what is it? I may have mentioned nothing here, that, that is helpful to you in terms of your preparation. But there's something that's hit you right now that you're saying, you know what, if I just did this, I'd enter the room as a, a more well-prepared worshiper. What can I do to prepare? Let me talk about the second one. And that is that we all have a responsibility for creating a conducive atmosphere. The conducive atmosphere has to do with an atmosphere that's conducive for worship and an atmosphere that's conducive for learning. Because part of what we do on a Sunday morning is learning together. So this one, I mean, I'm telling you, I just I'm sorry, I can't I can't help but avoid a toe or two. It's just gonna happen, okay? So so breathe. And 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 be alright because someone else has done it too. This service starts at eleven o'clock. Some of you have no idea that this service starts at eleven o'clock. You come in at eleven o two, eleven oh five, eleven fifteen, eleven twenty-nine, you know, just come in. And why is this important? Here's why this is important. Because new people guests, visitors, have one of two habits. Some of them have my habit. I show up four minutes late because I don't want to go through all the greeting thing. I want to get to my back row and just do my thing and leave because I'm a new guy and I want to do all the hello thing. Other people do this. They arrive 15 minutes early and they come sit down in this room and it is a lonely experience sitting in this room. They're looking around. It's like, there's nobody here. Oh, it'll fill up. And five minutes later, they're looking around and oh, it'll fill up. And then five minutes later, oh, it'll fill up. And literally 11 o'clock hits and Dana's here and Jason's here and a couple other worship team members are here. And we do the trickle. We do the trickle on in. We could create a better worship environment by simply getting in the room, by being in the room and creating an environment that says, hey, we're here. We're ready to go. We're ready to worship. You know, you can take it for what it's worth. Pet peeve, I don't know. But it would really help to get in here and get in here on time. It would, it would really make a huge difference. The other area that always gets interesting is just the whole idea of little distractions. Electronics can be a huge distraction. I always feel bad for the person whose phone goes off in church. You know, you're like, oh, poor, poor guy. I, I've started weddings. I don't start weddings anymore with dearly beloved, we are gathered here today. I start with, you can now turn off your cell phones. I mean, you know, just because you don't want to ruin the video. But thinking through the little things that could be a distraction. So one of the things that's unique to the first service that's not true in the second, um, I love the fact in the church, in the first service, our, uh, our kindergarten to fifth graders, that our, our Southfield big kids, they come and they're part of the worship experience. I love that. I mean, as a seven-year-old, I learned a lot in church. I really think that this can be a great atmosphere for that. Having said that, I also had this father who resembled Adolf Hitler. You know, he sat down here and he had a really long arm. I mean, it's just amazing how far his arm could go and boom and just kind of remind you that you were in church, right? We need that sometimes. If we're going to have our kids in church, we need to help them to learn what it means to be a good worshiper, how to make sure that, that we're providing an environment that's friendly to everybody. So, you know, one of the things that inevitably happens is, especially with littler kids, they love that little room right out there. And they love to use that little room during church four, five, six, seven times. I promise you, if you just handed that same kid a game controller, they wouldn't have to go to that little room for three hours. They could sit very comfortably. So just helping your child to think that through ahead of time and making sure that they're ready for that is huge. We provide great child care for for very little kids here at the church. And it's one of the things that I'm really, I'm really proud of the work that our child care workers do with little kids. We have the same person working with your child every week. And I know when you're coming in a first time, you don't necessarily want to put your child in child care. I know you're nervous about that. Maybe your child is ill or something like that. So just being aware of what's going on in the room with your child. But I'll tell you what, ultimately, when we get over to the new place, those rooms are going to be so cool. Some of your kids are never going to want to leave church. They're just going to love being there. But here's the thing about kids that I want you to understand, too. It's not just about the person next to you. It's about you. It is very hard for you to focus on learning when you're having to focus on the kid in your lab. So nobody's ever going to tell you, sorry, you can't bring your child in here. That's not what we're saying. What we are saying is do what you can. We offer you these opportunities to be able to provide a worship atmosphere that's conducive for other people and for yourself so that you can learn and so that you can worship well. The third area just has to do with a proactive approach. Do what you can to lean into a service. Do what you can to really lean in. What does that mean? We're, we are not spectators. I mentioned this last week with, with contemporary worship. It, it worries me sometimes that we become great at spectators, as spectators in contemporary worship. We come and watch the concert, so to speak. We've got to make sure that we don't fall in that mode. It's not just about watching what's going on up front. It's about participating together. So I know some of you don't sing. I, you know, I don't, you don't want to hear my voice. That's why I sit up front. They have to hear it. It's so funny watching them try to find the pitch as I'm belting from the front row, that sort of thing. You know, I, trying to move your mouth wouldn't hurt. Just trying to get, and you know what? You can even get involved in the singing in different ways. Humming along. Listening to the words, not just kind of zoning out and say, "This is that 15 minutes I've got to endure until I can get to the sermon." Likewise, some of you go, "I love the music," and then, "Oh no, there's that talky talky part." One of the things you could do during the talky talky part to stay engaged, we got space on the paper there so you can take notes. That'll help you to just kind of stay engaged. Make actually asking questions in your mind as the as the conversation is going on on Sunday morning can help you to be proactive in your approach and, and staying engaged. So all kinds of different things. I, I thought about having an entire sermon that I was just going to entitle to clap or not to clap because I know the whole clapping thing gets, some of you come from a, a background that if you clapped in church, they would have had the big hook and they, boom, you'd been taken out. Others, you've come from the, the constant clapping. And so when there's clapping in here, some people go, are we allowed to? And other people and you know, you just kind of, what are we supposed, we're like schizo on this clap thing. What are we supposed to do as a church? Um, I want to tell you what clapping, I, you'll never find me leading the rhythm, okay? I, there, was actually, there was actually a point in the church, we didn't have a bass player, and I was like, I could learn how to do that. And then somebody told me it was a rhythm instrument. I'm like, I couldn't do that. <laughs> We'd be all over the map. So i, I got my, my nationality as well as where I came from, just clapping. God said, we're going to leave that out of that body. He, he didn't give me rhythm. But, but even something as simple as clapping at the end of a song, you got to understand what we're doing there. We're not saying, great job, team. This, is, this isn't our opportunity to kind of, you know, cheer for the band. It's the modern amen. In, in old church, the church I grew up in, a song would end and everybody would go, amen, amen. You'd hear the amens popping all over the room. This is the modern amen. This is a way of saying, I agree. I agree with the message. I agree with what was just said. And I know for some of you, you want to burst because you want to clap, and that's okay. And I know some of you, you think you will turn into lots, wife, pillar, of salt if you clap. So don't clap. It's fine. But I just want to explain, that's one way that you could participate in what's going on and really be a proactive participant in worship. So, sermon one done. Sermon two is shorter, all right? We're going to make it. But for a, for a little interim... I want to make sure you're still engaged. So we're going to ask our question for the day. So right now, look and make sure that you're sitting close enough to somebody that you have the chance to to talk to somebody. And this this one's not easy. This isn't like, what's your favorite flavor of Popsicle or something like that. This one's a little tougher. I I want you to think through um, in your life, and this can be church-related, community-related, from your family. It's not restricted to just a church context. Talk about a time you served. You served someone else or you served in a capacity and you felt a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. I mean, when that serving got done, you may not have thought these little words, but here's what you said. I was made for this. This is why I'm here. This is why God put me on this earth. You got the question? You have all of 45 seconds. Ready? Go talk to someone about it. All right, time's up and probably one person from your group got to participate, but that's okay. I want you to look at this verse. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He calls you a work of art. Can you believe it? God says, "You, you are my sculpture. You are my painting. You are my work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. When you get that sensation, when you go, I was made for this, you're reinforcing a spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is God did create you for a purpose. And God did create you to do certain things. And just you to do that certain thing. So what you're actually receiving, when you get that, I was made for this feeling, it's an affirmation from God. He's saying, yeah, before you were born, before I I put together the world I had that in mind for you. God wants us to get involved in serving. So we've been going through this Acts 2 passage, and and we've already looked at the apostles' teaching and prayer and other things. We're going to be talking about the idea of the Lord adding daily those who are being saved. But, But in the middle, there's this big square in the middle. And that big square in the middle focuses on what we're going to talk about today. It talks about the fact that the apostles were doing signs and wonders, and all the people were amazed talks about the fact that they saw people in need and they sold what they had to give to the poor. It, it talks about all these different things that were going on in the body of the church. And the bottom line, it all comes down to this. The early church was about selflessly serving. They served and self wasn't part of what was going on. They wanted to make sure that their serving was selfless. And that's what God for, wants for us as well. Serving is just an amazing opportunity. It really is. It's an amazing opportunity. But we think of it as an opportunity to do something great in the world, to make a difference. And the truth is, a big piece of the reason God has placed serving in our laps is not just because of what we can do for someone else, but because of what it does to us. Not for us, to us. Serving is a tool in the hands of God to help us to learn what it means To be selfless. Because I hate to say it. We're all born selfish. We're all born thinking. What's in it for me? What can I get out of this? I mean early words. No. Even before mama. No. Even before dada. Mine. No mine. No mine. And some of us take that mentality all the way to our funeral. But God can use serving to do something in you. God can use serving to change you so that no and mine turns into yes and others. I'm not here for me. I'm here for someone else. We have lots of motives for serving. Some people serve because they want to be noticed. Did you see me? Did you see what I did? You know, that sort of thing. Some people serve because they want God brownie points. They think if they do this, God will go, big smile. Hey, hey good job. I'm, I'm glad you did that. Some people serve just to feel good. It feel, And truth is, it does feel good to serve. But that's not what serving is about. Serving is about getting the self out of the serve. It's a, and ultimately, the self out of ourselves. Mark 10 teaches this principle. So in Mark 10, you have the disciples are with Jesus, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're also nicknamed the sons of thunder. They make a request of Jesus, and and Jesus does some really good indirect parenting teaching here, because they, they ask this question. They say, we want you to do us a favor, and Jesus doesn't say, okay. Jesus says, what? Have you ever had one of these entrapping questions by your kids? They, they kind of throw that out there and you're supposed to just say yes. Always ask what? What are you asking? What do you want? What is it you request, Jesus said? When you sit on your glorious throne, when you're in the kingdom of God, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you. One to your right and one to your left. Now what Jesus does next is he starts to explain why it is not possible to give them those seats right now. In part, it's not possible because their life is not yet done. He says, those are are difficult seats to obtain. Are you willing to die? Are you willing to die to self? He even goes on to say, I I can't even promise this because it's the Father who's decided the seating arrangement in heaven. This isn't my role to figure out who's going to sit here and who's going to sit there. Now, what I love is that after the question's been asked, you've got 10 other disciples listening in on the conversation. And what does it say? They were indignant. They're, they're furious when they hear the question. And they're furious when they hear the answer. And you're wondering what's going on there. You'd like to believe that it was an indignation out of great motive. How dare you put Jesus on the spot like that? But I think really what was going on, if you look back to Mark 9, Jesus had already asked them. They're walking along on the road, and and he knows them grumbling. He says, what's going on? And they admit, well, we've been trying to figure out who's greatest among us. We know somebody's got to be number one, and Peter thinks he's number one. I don't know, maybe not him. Who's number one? I think I'm number one. He thinks he's number one. So this is kind of an ongoing conversation with the disciples. They're always trying to figure out the pecking order. Well, James and John kind of do an end run. Hey, they're all arguing about this. Will you just give us the chairs now? Will you just let us know right now where we're going to sit? Jesus uses this this question as an opportunity to do some incredible instruction with the disciples. And not just with the disciples, but he sets up some kingdom rules. He says, this is the way it works in the kingdom of God. This is the way it works in the church of Jesus Christ. He says, you look around. The rulers of the world... They're all trying to figure out who's number one. The rulers of this world are all trying to... They're dominating over you. They're telling you what to do. They're trying to make themselves supreme. And then Jesus says this line, and don't miss it. We've underlined it. But among you, it will be different. Jesus comes to take everything that exists in the world and flip it on its head. All of their lives, they had seen the way the rulers rule... And Jesus says, it's not going to be that way in our kingdom. That's not the way it's going to work. So how is it going to work? How is it going to be different? He he says to them, whoever wants to be the leader, the real word there is the greatest among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus says, "The world has got it all wrong. They think it's about the scramble to the top of the ladder. I'm telling you, in the kingdom of God, we're breaking the ladder. There is no ladder. First is last. You're not king. You're not ruler. You're servant. You're slave of others. And I love if you just break down what he says here. He he says it's not about being the greatest. The Greek word is Greek word is megas. You hear it, mega, huge. It's not about being the greatest." But the servant, and the Greek word there is diakonos. You hear the word diakonate or deacon. You're to be a servant. You're not to look to be the greatest, but you are look to be the servant. And then he goes on to say, not first. And first is the word protos, protos, number one, but slave. Now he takes diakonos, deacon, sounds kind of, who wouldn't want to be that? You know, I, that sounds great. I want to be a servant. But he takes it a step further and he says, no, you're not a servant you're a slave. Now, that word slave, that kind of, uh, that rubs our American sensibilities the wrong way. Some of it has to do with our history. Some of it has to do with our pride. But we don't want to be told we're anyone's slave. We don't even like the concept of slavery. Guess what? That same rub of sensibilities happened to the, happened to the disciples. Because they had slaves in their own time as well. Nobody wanted to be a slave. What's a slave all about? Well, a slave is a person who makes no choices on their own. Somebody makes the choices for them. A slave is owned by someone else. They have no control of their life. A slave doesn't set the agenda. The master sets the agenda. And Jesus is saying, in my kingdom, God is the master. And we are all slaves of God. He keeps going on to say that we didn't come... We're not here to be served, but to serve just like him. And he says, we're not to be self-seeking, but we're to be self-sacrificing. He said, I came to give my life, to give to others a ransom for many. He says, we're not to be self-promoting, but we're to be Christ-like in everything we do. We're supposed to be seeking to be more like Jesus. That's why this whole serving thing, is a tremendous tool in the hands of God. What's the goal of serving? Some people look at serving, especially in the church. And they think serving, they look, at, they look at the pastor and they think, okay, the pastor's Tom Sawyer. And he's got a fence that needs to be whitewashed. And so what's he doing? He's looking around figuring out who can he trick into getting other people to do his job. So he Facebooks, hey, we've got a bunch of mulch to move. And maybe, 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 maybe Tom can trick the others into do this. By the way, there are the blisters. Uh, Tom did some too. But anyway, um, we think sometimes that serving is about getting a job done. We need people to serve because otherwise this wouldn't get set up and torn down every week. We need people to serve because people have needs. Uh, Some people even take it more lofty. We need to serve because by serving we can change the world. Isn't that awesome? I don't think those are the real goals of serving. The ultimate goal of serving is not about the work we're going to do. The ultimate goal of serving is about the work God's going to do on us. It's about the difference. It's a transformative tool in the hand of God to make me look more like Jesus. And if you've done any serving, I promise you this, at some point in your serving, we could, we could probably spend the next half, half hour telling stories. At some point in your serving an ugly motive was revealed that you had no idea was there. You're serving and you think you're doing this for the right reasons and then the recognition didn't come or something happened and you can just feel yourself go into grumble mode. And it's then that moment that God's going, all right, now we're getting to the point of serving. Because that's the area I want to fix. That's the area I want to change. That's the area that I want to grow you. So it's not just about getting a job done. It's not just about changing the world. It's about changing us. It's about the work that God is doing in us to make us look more like Jesus. So as you go into this next week, I have three questions that I want you to spend time with. Just really mull over these questions. The first one is this. Why do I serve? When I get the opportunity to serve, why do I do it? What's it all about? And what happened, I think, if you spend enough time with it, you may dig a couple layers deeper and find out your immediate answer isn't the real answer. Why do I serve? Another question, why do I not serve? Those moments that an opportunity is out there, why do I go, nah, Now, what's going on there? What's God saying in that moment? What, what's in there that God's trying to do a work in you that you're kind of resisting it? You're pushing it away. And then the third one is just a really honest question. What do I hope to get out of serving? What, when I serve, what do I think I'm going to get out of this? What do I think is going to happen? want to start there just really drilling down into our motivations, understanding better the why, of, the why of our own serve. Because ultimately, if we're going to do it in Christ's way, it needs to be a selfless serve. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about others. Selflessly serving. And then next week, we're going to continue with this part, talking about selflessly serving. We're going to talk about one of the most important intersections in your life. Where, it all, where the whole serving thing all comes together and is able to be used in a way that really impacts you and challenges you to look more like Jesus. So let's pray to God and we'll be ready to close. Father God, I thank you today for the work that you do in us, continue to do in us, but I pray that we would be honest to you, truly honest to you and honest to ourselves. Serving is... A beautiful thing when it's done beautifully. And by that, we don't mean when we do the job the right way, but when we bring the right spirit to the table, when our attitude is right, when our heart is in the right place. We're doing it for others, not for ourselves, when we're doing it for our master and not trying to manipulate the situation. So, God, I pray this week as we take these three simple questions. Allow your spirit to probe our hearts, to reveal some places that our are, are serve might be a little less than selfless, or maybe some areas that we are just really hitting it nail on the head, and you want the opportunity to say, hey, kid, you're doing a great job. That's exactly what I'm looking for. So reveal to us how serving can be used better to grow us into the person you want us to be, to be more like Jesus. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our servers are going to come right now and receive the offering. While they do, I want to talk a little bit about a few weeks from now. As we said, we're just a handful of weeks away, and we're talking about a a moving day gift that we're going to do. The last day we're here, we're just going to collect an offering, a a moving day gift, something that helps us to be able to, again, furnish and um, just kind of polish off that building in a way that it will be able to be used in the best possible way to reach out to people, to make a great first impression on our guests, to make sure that we're able to just take this up a notch and, and do our very best. Give, give God the honor and the excellence that he deserves. So up until now, we've been asking you to just continue to pray about the gift that you might bring. Uh, as you're leaving today, on the guest table, as well as the table on the way out the door, you'll find some of the cards that we had a year ago when we did the 11-week challenge. Uh, somebody reminded me of it this past week. It's a, it's a card that has the prayer chairs on the front, and on the back are just some suggestions some things, some ways that, that you might be prompted to think about. How could you go about making a sacrifice? I mean, I know it's, it's Christmas time. There are bills. There's all kinds of stuff. How can I sacrifice when all this stuff is kind of coming in my direction? So hopefully one of those, a couple of those will prompt you. God will use his spirit to prompt you so we can bring just a, a really great gift that final day before, before we head on in. Lots of cool stuff happening over there. I mean, The paint's looking great. Doors went on this week. The doors look beautiful. Um, Just a whole bunch of stuff. The mulch is down. Nature's paint is in place, and it looks awesome. I love mulch. Mulch is the best thing in the world. So if if you haven't done it yet, go ahead, head into the parking lot, take a quick little tour around, look at the landscaping. All of it has come together so well, and I'm I'm grateful for all the people that got their, their wheelbarrows and shovels and pitchforks and everything going out there. Just an absolutely great job. So... We're going to head out right now, and as we do, uh, we're going to play a song that we had from last year, actually. It's a song that we used as the theme for our 11-week challenge. Beautiful song. Part of the reason I'm calling your attention to it is because the video that was put together uh, is actually, it features a number of people from our church. Just a beautifully, uh, artfully done video that tells a story of a person who has, who has dreams that they hope to realize in their life. So uh, you can hang out if you want and watch it. You can head out, whatever you want, but I'm so glad you joined us today. It was good to have you here. Think about your serve, whether or not you're doing it selflessly, why, and we'll come back next week and talk about that intersection. You have a great day. We'll see you. So it spins. Don't get sick. It booms, boom, and it bounces away. There you go. Six weeks to go. Now we get a song there you